my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Ron Reich. He is the president of RLB Training and Development. He has over 28 years of experience in leadership and management development, as well as coaching. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence, leadership philosophy. But first, I'd like to get a sense of who you are, Ron, what you're passionate about, uh, really kind of go back in time a little bit to, to see really the, the foundation of who you are, uh, where you were born and raised, what your life was like growing up, um, maybe how big your family was, uh, that, that sort of thing. And then just kind of lead into your, your current passions and, and what led you into uh, this, this leadership uh, development lifestyle. I was born and raised in uh, northern New Jersey. Uh, if anybody knows it, I would be amazed. A tiny little town called Whippany, <laughs> which is, uh, oh, I mean, for argument's sake, to just give anybody uh, a frame of reference, probably about 45 minutes west of Manhattan. Uh, I have uh, a brother and two sisters. And interestingly, we are all so diverse. Just, just so, so diverse. I mean, I'm, I'm also very linear. Uh, my oldest sister is uh, was an art teacher and and just a, an incredible painter. She's retired now. Uh, as you and I were talking a little bit earlier, Dave, my brother, uh, mechanical engineer by trade. Uh, my other sister, uh, a nurse by trade, and became a health teacher uh, for quite a few years. And I work in leadership development. And, you know, in, interestingly, though, just to, to tie it into what I do for a living, it's so interesting because we each each one of us has a different quote unquote communication style, personality style from the, all the diversity. Uh, and, 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 you know, just to continue, my dad uh, was a top executive for public service electric and gas company. Uh, if, you, and if you said the name Fred Reich, in the company, people were like, oh yeah, Fred, of course. I mean, that was the level at which he ran. And I mean, I, I learned so much from him over the years, just unbelievable. And I'm sure we'll get into that uh, throughout the show. Uh, my mom uh, was one of the biggest influences in my life. Just an amazing, amazing woman with no formal education. And she was just, phenomenal from my perspective. She shows and she could talk about nutrition. She could talk about just, you know, raising children, just any topic. She was conversational, which was beyond me. Uh, and I think, that, you know, that one of the things that you made me think of this too, uh, when, when you said, you know, growing up, what were some of the influences? 
I will never forget my job is my, my dad had a very, very big job. And when I was in high school, we had a decent basketball team. We were okay. Uh, you know, not great, certainly, and by no means in the bottom of the league or whatever. And I was a decent player, not great yet, ever, that every single Tuesday during the basketball season, my dad took the day off so he could come see me play. And I remember him, him being on the phone Monday evenings on a number of different occasions, plural, just talking to people at work. I'm not coming in tomorrow. I don't care what's going on. Ron has a game. That's it. And what I learned from that too, and, and this is the point I make, because everything I everything I, I try to learn from try to learn something from everything. I learned how important balance in life was and how important family was. And my dad taught me that by that. A couple of things that you said really resonate there, where you were talking about really how effective of a communicator your your mother was and then and then really the the impact that your father had on you by just how he showed you how important you are yes and um just two really important factors in in leadership believer in Stephen Covey's work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the exercises that we do in The Seven Habits is you write a personal mission statement. And part of some of the setup work includes jot down people in your life who have influenced you, and then write down the characteristics that they had, which again, influenced you or which you admired. My mom and dad were on the list along with a number of other people. And as I look down the list, and I ask all of my participants to do this when I'm teaching the seven habits, do you see a pattern of traits? Is you know, are there similarities? And when I looked at mine, I just smiled. My mom was very honest. She would call a spade a spade. My dad was like that. Uh, an old boss of mine, Barbara Fulmer, who I, I hope you know we get a chance to talk about a little bit. Best boss I ever had in my career. And one of the things I admired about her so much was her honesty, is that, again, Ron, you're doing a great job here. I'm pleased with this. Here are some areas where you need to improve. And I mean, just it, it, it's just so, so important. And being able to, and, 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 and also creating the type of environment where I, the receiver of, of perhaps some unpleasant information, am okay receiving it. And that's a big part, too, is setting the environment. I'm interested in hearing really what got you into doing what you're doing now uh i would imagine like like most people that get into the the leadership development management uh development uh coaching type work they start off after high school going into college maybe uh after college, getting into business and working their way up to a degree and then discover a passion for, for leadership. But with your foundation, I don't know if it was, I mean, is that really the path that you took? 
I started my career in human resources, did that for the first, let's say 10, 12 years, whatever it may have been. And I was working for an HR consulting firm and we all knew each other pretty well. For a number of different reasons, we decided to close the doors. <clears throat> did that and we all started looking for jobs. And I mean, I enjoyed HR. I can't sit here and tell you it was a passion of mine. Uh, I got a telephone call out of the blue from a recruiter in Dallas, Texas, who refused to tell me how he found me. I've got a job with Toshiba. The competencies are the exact opposite of what you are. They're looking for somebody who has really strong training and some HR. Your job, Ron, is to get them to flip their competencies and we'll see if we can make that happen. I guarantee you, I can get you in front of them. I went in, I talked to them, and they flipped their competencies. I got into training and development, and I have not looked back since. And Dave, I'm, uh, as I sit here, I tell you, this is, this is my calling. This is my passion. I mean, to this day, having done it for 28 years, I still... And, and just, I feel so blessed to be able to, to work with people, work with groups. And I will, of course, when I'm working, I'm getting paid to do this. This is incredible. I'm having so much fun and I'm getting paid. Uh, and I mean, you know, when, when you were talking about, you know, the, the coaching piece too, I did a lot of sales training in the beginning for Toshiba. And it, it, there's actually a story behind it. Someone, uh, a, a sales rep who I had trained came to me and said, you know what, Ron, the training field, it just doesn't. And I was like, all right, I'm going to need to verify this. And so what I ended up doing was spending a lot of time in the field with sales reps, watching them, coaching them, and realizing, number one, the, uh, what the, the comment that woman had made to me about this isn't real world was not true at all. It was absolutely relevant. And it was also so much fun to be able to spend time with people, with these sales reps, just talking about, that was a really good call. This went well. What might you want to do differently and everything else? And I know, I, I, I say proudly, I know it makes a difference because I went to Chicago quite a few years ago. I was working for a technology firm and I was going to spend a couple days in the field with, with this one rep. Long story short, the weather in the Midwest at the time was absolutely horrendous, just horrendous. And over the two days that I was supposed to be with him, we only made one sales call. And when I left, I still remember him saying to me, I cannot believe what I learned from you with just one sales call. Because we just kept talking about it. Well, what if this had happened? What if he had said this? What would you have done if? And just all of these other things and realizing that, yeah, I make a difference. Before we started recording, we, we uh, talked about the emotional aspect or emotional intelligence aspect of leadership. And you mentioned Dan Goleman. And, you know, Dan Goleman is... I don't know the guy, the the godfather of emotional intelligence, the the man who coined the term, um, done a lot of uh, a, a lot of the work that I did um, in college and in research, just developing uh, 
leadership programs for the fire service, you know, you discover that the, the leaders with high levels of emotional intelligence will always be ranked at the very top of, of, of leaders. So well, I kind of want to dive into emotional intelligence and, and have you talk about really what makes up emotional intelligence, maybe some of the components, uh, the things that we can develop as leaders so that we can, um, I don't know, become more emotionally intelligent. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll start, Dave, with uh, with, with just a, a, a quick story. Uh, I've been a New York Giants season ticket holder for many, many years, and one of the uh, one of the individuals in our group is the chief financial officer. Gate a number of years ago. Okay, Ron, I want you to tell me the one tip. Just throw me the one tip that could make me the best leader possible. What is it? So I gave it some thought. And my response was, Peter, I think the best thing you can possibly do is to get to know yourself extraordinarily well. And that, for me, is a big, big part of emotional intelligence and getting to know yourself extraordinarily well. And I mean, I, I, I can take you through some of the aspects of what I believe are so important for emotional intelligence. Number one, Every single person on this earth, you have them, Dave, I have them, anybody listening has strengths. And we need to be keenly aware of what our strengths are. What do I do really, really well? I'm proud of my strengths because there are some things at work and in my personal life, I'll keep it professional here, that I do well. And I say that proudly, not boastfully, and I hope that's how it comes across. I mean, I'm a very good facilitator. I know what I'm doing. I can generate solid discussion. I'm also a very good resource for people. Over the past 18 years or so, I've probably read over 300 leadership books and I can share them with people. Like, and those are strengths I bring to the table. So I'll, I'll ask you, and, and we did talk about this a little bit you know, before we started, what do you believe are some of your biggest strengths? The, the self-awareness component, I think, is pretty, pretty strong in me. Uh, it, it's taken a lot for me to become more self-aware. Uh, one of the things that I like to work on and that I continue to read a lot on is really trying to develop my, my communication skills. I feel like I'm a fairly good communicator. I think that a lot of people would, would say that that is one of my strengths, but I, I really think that that's one of the areas that I need to work most on. Um, okay. Now, with the self-awareness component, uh, I think that it allows me to, to be more empathetic, uh, which in the past, I don't know that I've been the sure. most 
sure. am, I, in the past, I don't know that I've been the most empathetic person uh, that, that you know, a lot of people, are <laughs> I, I feel like through my career, I, I've grown to the point where I can um, see how I am responding to to different influences and maybe catch myself okay. uh, before sure. before I communicate some kind of negative emotion. Because I think that in a leadership in a in a leadership role, we need to be careful about uh, how we respond. Um, and how we model the behaviors that we want to see in others. That's it. You, you, Dave, you just took us through essentially self-awareness and the second competency of self-regulation. Absolutely. Is that, first of all, with, with self-awareness, we need to be aware of our strengths. We also need to be aware of our limitations because everybody has limitations. I know mine. And I mean, and I, I share them openly. And I also talk about my limitations. I am not very strong technically. I never have been and I never will be. I can do the basics fine. If you know, something goes wrong technically when I'm doing a session or, or anything like that, I'm not the one to look to. And if, I'm, if, I, you know, if it's my computer that's having the problem, my hand goes up, hey, I need help. Can somebody please help me with this? I'm not sure what to do. Because I heard you talking about you want to be careful about how you respond in situations. Okay, there's a quote that I love, and again, it comes from uh, uh, Daniel Goleman. He he writes in one of his books, "Our emotions are always with us. Sometimes we're not with our emotions." Off, just off the top of your head, how do you interpret that? I, I would say. What what he's saying there is uh, sometimes we get we let our emotions get away from us. Um, you know where that is really the dominant force in our behavior is that emotional response to something, rather than using the logical part of our brain. Yeah, I mean, Dave, I I can add very very little to that. That's exactly it. I am not an expert by any stretch on brain physiology. Just real briefly though, because for me, this is very important. Whenever we are talking to someone or whenever we are listening to someone, the information that we hear hits the limbic portion of the brain first. The key, the reason I bring that up is, as I understand it, the long-term memory is stored there, fine. More importantly for what we're talking about, so is the long term, uh, so is the emotional center. So the information hits the limbic area of the brain, runs through a network of nerves just in nanoseconds, where then it enters the cerebral area of the brain, which is where we think. The key point, we feel before we think. We have to, as human beings, every single person feels before he or she thinks because the information hits the emotional center first, then it reaches the logic center. And that's very often the reason people, that's a stupid idea. What did you say that for? Oh, sorry, I wish I hadn't said that. And to deal with that, 
I love the acronym. When, when, when I'm emotional or when anyone is emotional, rather than firing off that emotional response, I like the acronym PRD. PRD simply is, when I'm emotional, I can pause, I can reflect, and then I need to decide what to do. This PRD. And with the PRD, it's appropriate to respond on the spot. Still, having paused and having reflected allows my brain to at least have some logic rather than just uh, and a quick emotional response. When it's possible, when it's appropriate, a big one for me or another option here, David, seems like we're both starting to get kind of emotional. Do you want to pick this up again in a half an hour? You want to talk, you know, you want to talk about this tomorrow morning, whatever the appropriate timeline is there, postpone it. If you think about it, if I'm your boss, okay, and you and I are having a conversation, or I, I actually, I come to you and I'm concerned about uh, kind of heated. You know what, Dave, let's, let's postpone this. How about if we get together in two hours? How does it help me, your boss, who's, un, who, who's starting to get unhappy to postpone? How does that help me? It allows both parties involved in the conversation to uh, let their, their, well, when you get emotional, your body uh, releases those, those stress hormones. Right. <laughs> and, and that is what really leads to escalation of emotion. And sometimes uh, I mean, decisions... I can, I decisions or behaviors that that we might uh, uh regret later on <laughs> yeah that's right i mean that's exactly right i mean i i remember working at a company one time and my boss my boss's office was next to mine long story short he was having conver a conversation with one of my colleagues and it was starting to get louder and louder and louder to the point where I was ready to go knock on the door. And it's like, uh, other departments can hear you. And I still remember Joe saying, you know what? This has gotten really loud. We're getting it. It's inappropriate. You need to calm down. I need to calm down. And the two of us will talk about this as professionals. And I was like, good job. <laughs> good job. Because it would have gotten ugly. It absolutely would have gotten ugly. It interesting the the prd uh acronym that you use there it really reminds me of one of the main virtues of stoicism is wisdom and wisdom is defined as knowing what we have control over what we don't have control over and what we should be indifferent about yes and I say when uh, in any instance, when we are, when our brain is stimulated with, with some outside influence, whether it is a moment of stress or we're faced with a decision, there's a moment when we are uh, taking in that information and then there's a space between that moment and the moment where we need to decide what to do. 
Right. And it's in that moment, that gap where we find wisdom. That's right. And that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, St Stephen, Stephen Covey calls it, uh, he, he talks about this stimulus and the response. You know, a stimulus occurs and very often people just respond on the spot, inappropriately, emotionally, whatever it might be. And he said, before you respond, and exactly what you were saying, Dave, there is a small gap, if you will, stimulus, gap, response. And for me, just the way I like to think about it, stimulus, PRD, response, which is going to be more appropriate than if I had just responded instantaneously. I know how I coach people in, in this sense here. Uh, my background is in the fire service and yeah. there are times when when incident commanders or maybe it's a company officer the the first arriving unit on on a scene whether it's a structure fire or um a really bad auto accident whatever it is this individual is faced with making some decisions very rapidly and directing the crew uh, to, to operate in a dangerous environment. So you're having to gather all of this information. You're possibly faced with people that are dead or may die. Maybe they're approaching you and you know exhibiting some some elevated emotions. When you're taking in all of this information and formulating a response to the situation to be able to handle the situation, there there are steps that an individual can take. But when you're trying to regulate your own emotions when giving direction in a stressful situation, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you would coach somebody that, that is maybe inexperienced in, in that environment. Okay. How would you coach somebody to, to approach situations like that? It, for, for me, I always, I always like to ask people, what is your goal here? Okay. If, if, if you're in an emotional situation, what's your goal? It's to maintain the relationship. Just, uh, just, you know, let's, let's just play with that for a second. Okay. If you want to maintain the relationship, then what is it you need to do? Okay, and, and then we can work with the PRD or if, it, if the situation has already taken place and we're going to be talking about it post event, if you will. Okay, tell me what happened. Just what went on there. Okay, Ron, I got really, really upset because the, bo you know, the boss told me I did a lousy presentation and I didn't think it was lousy and I let him know that. Okay, fine. How well did that work for you? And coaching with, again, giving them the model itself, again, in this instance, the PRD, let's talk about it. 
let's practice it some and real real time practice if you will and that that for me kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that one sales rep and just the one call that we made is just practice it practice it what if this happens what if this happens one of the other big things too is that i i always trust way you learn do you want to role play this i can be you know i can be your boss you can you know just play yourself we can flip roles. I can be you and, and, and see how I might have handled it. Do you learn better just by talking these things through? And see, and, and again, th thinking about this, it just occurs to me, this all links back to emotional intelligence and knowing yourself. And you, I want to get to know the individuals with whom I'm working. I think, you know, one, one of the other things too, though, and, and again, I always say this in class is that you want a PRD, you want a PRD. Will you always be able to do that? Of course not. Of course not. It's not going to happen. We're humans. And the third competency, being humble enough to apologize. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That came out wrong. You know what? Yesterday during the staff meeting, Dave, I shouldn't have said that to you. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. You know, whatever it might be. and. I mean, what, a, what an incredible difference that makes. I mean, I had, I had a situation many years ago. Uh, I, uh, uh, one of the training managers was giving a presentation. Some of the most important members of our division, the CEO was in the room and, and some of the presentation, she asked a question. I thought I knew where she was going with it. So I raised my hand and I answered it. And I'll never forget, she walked over to me in front of everybody in that room. Ron, I owe you an apology. My question was narrow. It was unfocused and totally unfair to you. I'm going in a different direction. I need to rephrase it. She turned to the group and rephrased her question. I was like, how could you have done that? I mean, Brian, you know, Gary, Tony, you know, all of these, Barbara, all of these powerful people. And she just looked at me. She was like, Ron, I made you look bad. And I apologize. I didn't want to do that. I, I never forgot that. I mean, it strengthened our relationship. Her credibility with me, which already was high, shot up even further. When you mentioned the, the sales call and really gaming all the yeah. potential, that is, it's, it's, it's really interesting because that is the only way that you can prepare yourself for a stressful situation and and really by by walking yourself through all these different scenarios walking yourself through all these different scenarios with your team working with your team so that you know how they will respond that is the only way that you can really effectively get yourself in that mindset when, when faced with these really stressful environments, really stressful situations, to, to be able to respond effectively and, and really minimize the time frame of that gap, the lapse of the gap where you do that PRD. Because it's, yeah. it's still there. Right. That's right. But to shrink that that time frame is ideally what you want to do when 
when lives are in the balance. That's right. Or have you ever heard of the uh, the acronym of the five P's before? It's possible. It's it's not ringing a bell right now. <laughs> and an old boss shared this with me one time, and I love it. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, to I mean, to to this day, when you know, I I work on my own essentially. When I am preparing for a course, I prepare meticulously, and I go through a bunch of different scenarios in my mind, just a bunch of them. Right, you know, just for example, if if we're expecting twelve people in the class, I will think to myself. What's going to happen if only 10 show up? How does that impact the activities? You know, okay, I'll, I'll have to do, if we have 10, I'll do three, three, and four instead of four, four, and four for breakouts. What if, what if somebody asks me this question? What am I going to do if? What will I do if I have a computer problem? What am I going to do if? Just all of these things, and I'm ready. I'm ready. And for me, Dave, I, you know, my, my wife sometimes will look at me and I'll, I'll get the look. I, I like to do all of my flip charts in advance. They're done before I even walk in the room. And one of the reasons for that is, number one, the prior preparation, fine, except what it allows me to do as people are starting to come into, I can talk to them and I can start getting to know them, which is, again, part of emotional intelligence and being self-aware. Because the better I know, the better I know them, the more effectively I can work with them. We build some rapport, and you know that that's half the the battle, if you will. When when you're when you're talking about these these trainings that you do, and very often you're meeting those individuals for the very first time. Yes. So you're you're taking a little bit of time uh, ahead of the class to connect with them and just relating that to the fire service. There are times that, uh, that I would work, say, uh, I would work a different shift. So if I was a shift, uh, I might get hired to work overtime on B, B shift yeah, yeah, yeah. or C shift. And many times it would it could be on the other side of the county in a different battalion with with people that i had never worked with before yeah if you know as a company officer when you're showing up to shift and uh you got to sit down and you've got to lay out your expectations you've got to really talk to them and and determine what their expectations of you are because they might not be in line with anything you're willing to do. <laughs> That's it. And, it. and so that those clear expectations, especially if you're the leader, um, set, setting that tone for the, for the day or for any eventual uh, situations that may arise. I, I, I've got a comment on this. As I understand it, I, I don't know any of the direct research the number one reason companies, departments, and individuals fail essentially is because expectations are unclear. And that, and that is just so, so 
through. And again, for me, what I like to do when I'm when I'm doing a training, and it, you know whether I know the people or not, it's it's more for the individuals I don't know. Granted, we will do an icebreaker where we get to know each other. I, I don't I can't say well still in all. I, I won't get into all the details. I believe in taking a decent amount of time for us to feel comfortable with each other right off the bat. And then very simply, what I like to do is everybody, this, and, and I'm speaking verbatim because I've done this so many different times. The type of environment we're trying to create is one in which everybody can learn and get as much out of this as possible. Given that, can we, we, we all agree to the following expectations. Number one, please actively participate, ask any questions that you have. Number two, please talk to each other. It's much, much more powerful when you are having conversations with each other and I'm not the focal point. Please include me in the conversation, of course. I don't want to be the focus. I want you to be the focus. Thirdly, and this is, this is really the big key. I need your phones on vibrate and please no texting while we are in here. It, uh, it distracts me and it distracts your colleagues. And for me again, because I understand and I mean what I say, I, I understand business goes on by all means, take care of it. Please leave the room so you don't distract the rest of us. And there are no issues. And I have had very, very few issues over the years. I've had a couple and I've had to call people on their behavior. And when I do, if they get mad, it's like, what are you getting angry with me for? You agreed to the expectations and you're not following them. So I'm just calling you out on something of which you're fully aware. So please. And again, also PRD comes into play where it's like, you don't, what's the matter with you? <laughs> as you've developed as a leader and as somebody that facilitates these trainings, what were some of your influences? Maybe you, you've read, what would you say, over 300 books on leadership. Yeah. So certainly... You've been influenced by by the works that you've read, um, and by the people that you've worked with through the years. But there's got to be a couple that that stand out to you as really having a, a profound influence on you. Oh, uh, yeah, there there are a few. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I hope you don't mind if I use their their full names. Jack no, not Landry. at all. Uh, for whom I worked at Toshiba was one, just helping me enormously. I knew nothing about training, essentially. And just the, the time and the effort he spent with me, just hel helping me to learn how to transition from module to module. You know, these are, these are how you ask questions, Ron. These are, the, or these are the types of questions you need to be asking. This is how you facilitate instead of just, you know, you, you don't want to be the talking. They need to do the talking. Uh, another boss, and I said to her, Barbara Fulmer, also at Toshiba, was the best boss I ever had in my entire career. What I learned from her is just beyond me. Again, from a facilitation perspective, 
uh, from a, you know, things that might seem minor. She taught me how to write good flip charts and how to do it well, because there is a technique to it. And the way I was doing it was not as nearly as effective as what she helped me with. Uh, one of my proudest moments, frankly, uh, she watched me do a three-day interviewing course in New Jersey. We talked after each day. At the end of the third day, we sat down and she said to me, you were flawless. You were flawless. You got 179 out of 180 points. What do you think my question for her was? What did I get wrong? Exactly. What did you take the point off for? <laughs> and she laughed. She said, you know what I did? She said, you were so good. I had to find something. Your pants were not ironed as well as they could have been today. So I took one point off. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, through, through, <laughs> throughout the years, though, and, and, and actually, you know what, before I say anything else, we, we've been talking at the importance of relationships. I'm still in touch with Jack Landry. I'm still in touch with Barbara Fulmer. We exchanged messages yesterday on LinkedIn. Uh, another big influence for me uh, was, was, a, was a boss, Joe Breslin. Uh, I worked for him at a pharmaceutical. And again, he was the one who got me deeply involved in leadership development and management development. He was the one, uh, Dave, who gave me the greatest piece of business advice I ever got. And this is where the reading comes in. He and I were talking one day. Uh, he had actually given me my review. We were talking about my increase and so forth. You know, Joe, I so admired David, you know, one of my other colleagues. I said, he's just so well-rounded and he knows so much about so many different things. And Joe just said to me, Ron, he said, I'm glad you brought it up because he said, it's something I want you to start doing. He said, you need to become more well-rounded. Like, you know, like, you, like you said, you admire this in David. I want you to start reading. Just read 10 pages a day, five days a week. You will be amazed by how many books you will read. And I took that to heart. And that was about maybe 18, 19 years ago, whatever, whatever it was. And that's the reason I've read all those books. And truly, I mean, it was the best piece of business advice I ever got. It's helped me to it's helped me to become more confident. It's helped me because again, as I said to you earlier, I, I'm a resource for people, and that's something about which I'm passionate. I mean, I, another another mentor of mine was a uh, a gentleman named Rich Michaels. Uh, Rich, we uh, at, at at the pharmaceutical we bought Rich's critical thinking program. And Rich did the train the trainer and so forth. And to, again, to make a long story short, we got to know each other pretty well. And the one thing Rich did for me, he said to me, good job, Ron, as always, blah, blah, blah. I said, I want you to do something. I want you to go to a presentation course. He said, you're really good at what you do. I think you can get even better. And I was surprised because I was like, whoa, really? Presentation course? And it was one of the greatest things he could have ever, he ever did for me, because what I learned there just changed me so much. And I'll be forever grateful to him. When I first started recording this show, I would ask every guest if they'd recommend three books. Out of the 300 plus books that you've read, yeah. 
what are a couple that stand out to you as as really shaping the leader that you've become? It's it's interesting because when when a lot of people will say that to me, it's like, Ron, what are the best books you've ever read? Some of them absolutely do stand out. And before I'll make a recommendation, though, I always want to find out what interests you. What do you want to learn more about? A lot of times what I, what I like to recommend for somebody who's a, a new manager or a, a new leader is a book called Leading at a Higher Level, written by Ken Blanchard, which is all about situational leadership. And he talks all about how, when, you know, when it's necessary to what he calls directing people, when it's necessary appropriate to coach people, support people, and delegate. He also, and he does that for individuals. He also talks about how to do it for teams. And it's an excellent book. Uh, for more experienced managers, one of the best books that I've read recently is called Leadership is Language uh, by David Marquet. And he talks about how critical it is to spend time preparing and thinking before you delve into projects and how, how you have to have what he calls formal stops along the way. All right, if this is a six month project, we're gonna stop one month into it and we're gonna talk about how it, how's it going? What's going well? What do we need to adjust and so forth? He also talks about the importance of language. And what, what I love is, you know, for, uh, a lot of times a manager will come up to an employee, just as, as an example. Uh, Dave, are you ready for this presentation? Well, there's only two answers you can give to that, yes or no. Rather than that, Dave, how prepared are you for this presentation? Now you're gonna learn more. Dave, on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you about running this meeting? Ah, seven. Okay, fair enough. What prevents it from being a 10? How can I help you? Instead of, are you ready to run this meeting? Yes, boss, absolutely I am. And you really don't know that. And I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. I got a lot out of that. There's something that I, I like to do with, with certain people that I interview, and that's, so where the, the title of this podcast comes from, from Embers to Excellence, is that it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your life's experiences have been. We all have those valleys. We all have those, those moments where we've crashed and burned. And really, what are the lessons that we've taken away from that? Have we learned anything from those points in our life? Yeah. Did, did we approach it in a way that it was an opportunity for us to grow? And I'm curious if, if any situation like that comes to mind for you, um, I, and I can tell you this. So I, the reason I'm asking you is because I already know the answer and people that are, are accomplished, especially those that uh, teach people how to lead, have some good stories <laughs> around this. So uh, 
I was wondering if you'd be willing to share. Many, many years ago, a five-day product knowledge slash selling skills course. I did not know the products nearly as well as I should have, and I cannot deny that. And what I thought I could do and what I was hoping to do was skate through the product knowledge part and focus on the selling skills, which I knew really well. On the morning of day two, probably around 10 o'clock, two of the participants from Philadelphia got up and left. You don't know what you're doing. We're out of here. And they walked out. About an hour and a half later, I got a telephone call from Tony Codiani, who was my boss's boss. And Tony ripped me to shreds, rightly so, just rightly so. What did I learn from that? Again, part of the five Ps. I am never going to walk into a classroom again unprepared because I never want to go through that. And I'll tell you what was interesting, though. Those two participants left, and they left rightly so because I was not doing a good job. I ended up talking to their to their boss because uh, he worked. He was the president of a dealership in Philly. And I was like, Neil, I'm so sorry. It was my fault. Again, going back to emotional intelligence, I wasn't prepared. He goes, I don't care. I'm never sending anybody to training again. Okay, I understand how upset you are. Send just one person to training again. We won't charge you. And let's just see how it goes. He softened a little bit. And, and to make a really long story short, Neil and I became friends. And he realized, you know what? Okay, you did make a terrible mistake. You learned something from it. And now he, regu he regularly sent people to training. And I'm proud of that. When your boss's boss ripped you to shreds, yeah. where did your mind go to? And that, and that shredding. My in my instant reaction, truly, I can't do this. I'm no good. I, I'm not cut out for this. I'm, you know, I'm probably going to get fired, and I should start looking for another job <laughs> right away. And I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for the support staff for the the, the support system that I have. Number one, just a, a, a circle of friend, a circle of friends that I have who are incredibly uh, supportive is the word that I'll use. Uh, you know, and, and and you know, you had talked about it, you had mentioned it earlier, Dave, about things we can control, things we can't control. And what they kept pointing out to me was, Ron, okay, there's nothing you can do about having made such a bad mistake. That's over, it's gone. What you can control is what you do moving forward. And slowly I began to realize, okay, I'm not gonna get fired. I need to prepare well, I need to be ready. And, you know, lesson learned. So many people that I've talked to that that have these like crash and burn moments, they're, they're so similar. It doesn't really matter the walk of life. Right. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, a big mistake that, you know, becomes a defining moment and somebody says, you can do better. Don't let it beat you. Like, you know, but when we were going through that moment, it's such a, a dark point. Um, so no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, and we, we've covered a lot of ground. I, 
I'm curious, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you you feel we, we should touch on before we go? I love to start my leadership courses by doing an activity. I'll, I'll, break the, I'll break the class into small groups and I'll have flip charts around the room. And I just ask them, write down what your role is as a leader. Just what, what's your role? They'll jot everything down. And I, when we debrief it, I just ask them, take a look. How many technical things have you written? What does that tell you about your role as a leader? You need to be human. It's all about the people because your role, everything you wrote down ties into the people. I need to teach. I need to motivate. I need to be there for them. I need to, all of these things. It's not, I need to be the best CPA out there. I need to be the best chief you know, technology person in the world is like, no, <laughs> it's all about being human and treating the people well. Why do you think that so many leaders get that, that part wrong? It's probably because they get so, so involved in the day-to-day minutiae and they forget that it, the, it's, it's the people I don't want to sound self-serving, except this is a very important point for me. I believe so strongly in the training, obviously. I mean, that, that's critical. The training is all well and good, except if you don't reinforce the training afterwards, it's going to go away. People will leave the classroom excited and up. Yeah, this was great. And six weeks later, it's like, yeah, what did that guy Ron talk about again? That's what makes it stick. Because like I said, people just get caught up in the minutia and they forget, gee, I need, I need to recognize these people. I need to show them respect. I need to spend time with them. And, 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 and I believe that's where the biggest uh, fall down is or the biggest gap is, if you will. You'll, you'll find people that uh, forget, forget that very important fact uh, in, in any organization. You'll have the that individual that gets into a position of authority that either for one reason or another believes it's all about them or it's all about the, uh, the profits, you know, the profit margin or something like that. And so, um, and then it just takes somebody to, kind of coach them onto the right path. (laughs) (laughs) Now for the, for the listeners, anyone that's interested in, in uh, connecting with you or uh, possibly employing you to help coach their team of, of leaders or whatever professional development that they might need. um, What is the best way to connect with you? Probably the best way, Dave, is through LinkedIn. If anybody wants to contact me directly, of course, I welcome that. My email is r.reich2006 at gmail. And, you know, I think, you know, one, one of the big things here too, Dave, and it's very important that I say this out loud, is that if people want to connect with me, I welcome that. And all we are going to do is talk. You're not going to get a sales pitch from me. You're, oh, you need this. And oh, absolutely. If you don't do this, you'll. No, let's talk it through. 
Let's see if there's anything there. And if it is, maybe we can work together. And if there is not, wonderful. Good for you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, I will have uh, a link to your LinkedIn page uh, in the show notes. Wonderful. And, uh, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, to talk with me. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, I really... Dave. I really enjoyed it, too. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.